think of the three videos we've watched, that has been one of my favorite ones. And I was just tempted to just watch the video and then just continue singing and be done, because I don't think I can, I can beat that. Um, we will not get into the full, <clears throat> into Mary's, um, the, 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 the story of Mary receiving the, the news, but I do love from the video that um, it doesn't, I don't think it's a coincidence that the very, very first human to receive the news of the gospel was a young woman. Amen. I think it was foreshadowing for us the way that the gospel of Jesus Christ was about to move in and among God's people. And it was going to move through women, through people at the margins, through people who were often not thought of to be center to who was supposed to be godly. And we're, we're going to see a little bit more of that in, in, in our story today. Um, and it reminds me there is this Greek word in, in theology. I'm, I'm giving you this one for free. Theotokos, mother of God. And you often will see in the ancient history, ancient writings, this Theotokos, the mother of God. This idea that Mary was the one who gave birth to Jesus, the son of God. Um, Today's sermon is actually back um, with John the Baptizer. And we, let's read the, the passage for today. I actually don't have it here. Is it Matthew? Is that, is that where we are? Oh. I think it's Matthew, yes. <clears throat> John the Baptizer, who was in prison, heard about all the things the Messiah was doing. So he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, Are you the anointed one or the Messiah we've been expecting? Or should we keep looking for someone else? Jesus told him, go back to John and tell him what you have heard and seen. The blind see, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. And he added, God blesses those who do not fall away because of me. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began talking about him to the crowds. What kind of man did you go into the wilderness to see? Was he a weak reed, swayed by every breath of wind? Or were you expecting to see a man dressed in expensive clothes? No, people with expensive clothes live in palaces. Were you looking for a prophet? Yes, and he is more than a prophet. John is the man to whom the scriptures refer when they say, Look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare your way before you. I tell you the truth, for all who have ever lived, none is greater than John the baptizer. Yet even the least person in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he is. I find this to be a really fascinating passage for us this morning, especially as we're talking about Advent. And uh, Paul, can I ask you a favor? Can you turn the, the house speakers off? I keep on hearing feedback. I don't know if it's just me, but there's a little bit of feedback coming through. Thank you. Um, we, last week, we were talking about John the Baptizer again, and we established one thing, and I don't know if you were able to put it to practice last week. I was kind of thinking about it all week. Granted, I'm constantly thinking about the message and preaching, so I'm constantly preaching to my own head. Um, <laughs> but we were talking about confession, right? And we were talking about how John says, confess your sins, and then God will forgive you. And one of the interesting things about confession is this idea that peace can be gained through confession because it is saying the same thing 
It is saying the same thing about our condition, saying the same thing about where we are, saying the same thing about our experience. And we can say it to each other when appropriate, and we can certainly say it to God, hopefully all the time, most of the time. When I teach my students, um, when, when they first come as first years, one of the principles that we want to establish for the students at the college is this idea of oops and ouch. We want to be a community, I often say, where we are allowed to say, oops, I made a mistake. I confess that I made a mistake. And we want to grow. We want to have space to make mistakes that are just simple, innocent mistakes. And sometimes actually because you were hungry or because you were in a bad mood, but you're able to recognize and confess and say, oops, I made a mistake. And on the other hand, we also want to be a community that says, ouch. Ouch, what you just did hurt, right? The way you just spoke to me, that hurt. That joke that you just said, that hurt. The way that you just said that or did that or thought about that, that hurt. That oops and ouch that I teach my students, I think is very similar to this idea of confession that John the Baptizer was talking about. If we want to get peace with God, we need to be able to say the same thing about our condition to others and to God. And we, we talked about this last week and we said that a lot of us, and I, I just threw it on myself at least, we often have this like persona or this idea that we want others to have about us. So we're not always willing to tell the truth about what we're feeling and where we're at in the situation and the context around us because I really want you to like me. Mm -hmm. I really want you to think well of me. I don't want you to be disappointed with me. So in this, we create this gap of expectations. And when our expectations are not matching reality in that gap, there, there is where pain and suffering is often found. We're expecting something to go this way, but the reality is that it's going another way. And in that gap, that's where suffering often is. I was telling you about last week, I was telling you about my week, it was a crazy week and then of course with the awful um, death of a student on campus last week it just it was even crazier and for me that gap my expectation of the week versus the reality of the week there was a big gap and because there was such a big gap there was a lot of struggle and a lot of pain but when we're able to actually confess that and say hey I had an expectation of a pretty smooth week, right? Last week was my last week of classes. I submitted my final paper. I was also doing my PhD application. I had a lot of work to do. It was the final week of classes for the college. I, I had to preach a sermon. I had an expectation of what I wanted my life to be for that week, but the reality was just simply not meeting my expectation. And when those two uh, clash, that's where pain comes. And one of the things that John does for us is he tells us, confess. Say the same thing. Let your reality match your expectations, and then you can find peace with God. And now we have John again, the baptizer, and he's found himself in a little bit of trouble. We didn't read all of this, but if you, if you read the story of John the baptizer before, 
You know that John is out in the wilderness. He's wearing his camel clothes. He's eating honey and bugs. And he is just talking smack about the authorities and the rulers and the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He is just getting in trouble with them, right? He's talking about soldiers. He's talking about tax collectors. He's talking about the kingdom. And obviously, people at the center of power didn't like it. And interestingly, as is often the case with people that speak the truth and people that do not surrender their power to the epicenters of truth, they find themselves in trouble with the authorities. Just like Jesus eventually would. So does John right now. And John finds himself in prison. Right? He goes from being the one who baptizes Jesus the one who's saying, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He goes from being the very first evangelist to being the very first Christian martyr. The very first in prison. The very first who was suffering for the good news of Jesus, the Lamb of God. And we see some really, really interesting things as John is awaiting this Messiah he says, so he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the Messiah we've been expecting? Or should we keep looking for someone else? I find this to be really interesting for the baptizer who was the first one that announced that Jesus was the Messiah. Right? But in this moment, John is struggling. Where are you at? And he's doubting. Huh? What book? Matthew. He's struggling. He doesn't know what to think. And now, remember, Jesus and John were cousins. They knew each other really well. Mary, when Mary goes visit Elizabeth, the story, the Gospels tell us that John in Elizabeth's womb leaped for joy inside of his mother's womb. So there is already this acknowledgement of John the baptizer, this Jesus person was going to be special and it is just any human being, right? So there is already this expectation there from before John was even born, he was already recognizing who Jesus was. And then we know that John is only six months older than Jesus and he is alive. But remember, Herod had ordered the massacre of every single um, boy that was two years and under. And the fact that they are contemporaries and both alive, that probably tells us that John the Baptizer also had fled Israel during that time. Because if not, he would have likely been killed as well. So we don't know this, this is conjecture, but since they're family, it is possible that John and Jesus grew up together in Egypt. It is possible that the first 12, 10, 12 years of their lives, there were actually refugees and immigrants in Egypt. They were not in Israel. We, we don't know that, but somehow John is not killed in Herod's massacre, and neither is Jesus. So it's possible that they were together. It's possible that they knew each other and of each other. And certainly, even if they did not grow up together those 12 years, 10 years, I guarantee you that Mary knew why they were displaced and refugees in another area because we knew that Herod was looking for Jesus, John's cousin. 
So this is very much part of the history and the origin story of this family. John knew. He knew Jesus. He knew that something was going on with Jesus. So he starts preaching, and he's out there in the wilderness, and he's baptizing people, and he's calling people to repentance, and then he finds himself to be in prison. And things kind of change when you're in prison, don't they? They would for me. They would for me. Remember, prison in old times is not what it is today. The idea that someone would be in prison for the rest of their lives, that's a modern concept. In the ancient times, prison was much more like a detention center. Prison would be where you would go while you were awaiting trial. And really, there was three options. You either would be released and be called innocent, you would be executed publicly, or you would be uh, kicked... Um, what do you call it? Exile. Exile, thank you. I almost said kicked off of the island. It's not Survivor, but kind of. <laughs> um, you will be exiled, kicked out of the island, right? Those are basically your three options. So because this is a detention center, often the people, the family members, the people that were your loved ones, those were the ones that would come to you, and those were the ones that would actually feed you. Yeah. Right? There is no human rights. There is no idea that the Roman government was responsible for prisoners, that that's not the case. You were waiting your trial, and it was your loved ones and your community that would literally feed you and take care of you. So that's why his disciples are coming to him, and that's why um, it says John the Baptist was in prison, heard about all the things the Messiah was doing. I find that also super interesting, right? It's not that John was out there saying, hey, Jesus, where are you? What's up? Are you, are you actually the one? Because I haven't heard anything else. John is saying, I am hearing what you're doing, and yet he's doubting. I wonder, we know what Jesus was doing. He was out there active, and, and he was pretty popular. So it was not that John didn't know what he was doing. I think, this is just me thinking, that Jesus' ministry did not match up with the expectations that John had of Jesus. Here's what we know that Jesus was doing. First thing he does, he gets a bunch of people drunk. That's his first ministry. That's his first, first miracle. I'm kind of kidding. He probably didn't. He didn't intoxicate people. But he was certainly a accomplice in getting a lot of people intoxicated. That's what he does, right? There's the, the, the first miracle is this idea of a party, celebration. After everyone had already uh, drank the good wine, you're supposed to be drinking the cheaper wine, but instead when people are already into it, two, three, four days of partying, then Jesus comes and he comes in with the good wine, right? He turns water into really, really, really good wine. And that's already pretty scandalous because a rabbi is not supposed to be kind of doing that, right? Jesus is hanging out with tax collectors, with government workers. We don't like government workers, right? We're against the government. But Jesus is buddy buddies with them. In fact, one of them becomes his disciple. Jesus hangs out with political activists. We don't like political activists. One, two of them becomes, become their, his disciple. Jesus starts hanging out with prostitutes. Right? Like these women. Not good women. And he's hanging out with them. 
Not only is he hanging out with them, but they are, they are touching him, they are blessing him, they are grabbing their hair and using their hair to, to, to anoint his body. He's talking to women who are known to be adulterers. And he is not shaming them. He's saying, come, follow me. He was talking about eunuchs. Eunuchs is this third gender category throughout the scriptures of, of people who are not necessarily fully in, 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 in the binary. And he says God has a special purpose and plan for eunuchs in God's kingdom. He doesn't ostracize them. Jesus is doing all of these things that are just not popular. And John hears about them and he's like, wait a second. What about the military might? What about the spiritual might? What about the renewal? What about the judgment? Where is the Messiah? Why is he not coming to liberate us? Why is he not coming to liberate me? I'm in prison. I'm his cousin. We are buddies. I'm the first one to announce it. And I think John was struggling. So I'll tell you two things that I think I'm learning from, from this passage. One, a healthy spirituality We've talked about this. A healthy spirituality, it is based not just on certainty, but it includes uncertainty. We don't know everything around us. And if you know of anyone who has figured out God, they have an idol. They do not have God Amen. Almighty. Amen. The closest thing we have to understand the fullness of God is a mystery. God is a mystery. Amen. I don't understand God. You don't understand God. We do not understand God. The closest thing that we could get to do is to experience God together. But that means that our experiences are going to vary. Amen. And they're going to be different. And that God and God's purpose is going to be dealing with us at different times and in different moments and in different ways. And my experience with the divine is not necessarily your journey with the divine because it is a mystery and it is infinite and I cannot contain it. Amen. John the baptizer's experiences with the divine and with Christ were different than the ones that Matthew was having, the ones that John was having, and the ones that Mary was having. And at this point, John is doubting, and notice later on in the passage, Jesus says of John that he is the greatest man that has ever lived. Jesus does not judge his doubt. Jesus does not condemn his doubt. Jesus is not scandalized by his doubt. Jesus affirms him with his doubt. Healthy spiritualities are spiritualities that have space for doubt and uncertainty. Amen. We don't have to have it all figured out. John didn't. And of course he didn't right when it was hurting the most. I get that. Mm -hmm. It is easy to be a good Christian when you have a good paycheck, good health, great house, and everything's looking good. It is not that easy to have a firm faith when things are falling around, falling apart around you. Amen. It's hard. And instead of judging John, Jesus affirms John. And I think one of the best things that we can do for each other 
is that in moments of uncertainty and doubt, it is not judge each other, but it is to affirm each other. Notice what the text does. It says that when John the Baptist, the baptizer, sent his disciples to ask Jesus, Jesus says, hey, look at what I'm doing, right? And then supposedly the disciples go back to the Baptist, but we never know if the baptizer believed them. We don't know. There is no evidence necessarily in the text that John's like, oh my gosh, yes, let's go. Yeah. <laughs> right? Potentially. Maybe. We don't know. And I'm okay with that. Maybe John the baptizer kept on talking about it and struggling and, and trying to figure, out, figure it out. Because it's a journey. It's a constant journey. That's what discipleship is. Mm -hmm. It is a constant walking one step after the other step after the other step. Amen. It is a series of decisions. It is a series of moments and they're complicated. Mm -hmm. John's spirituality was complicated. And I love it. I take great refuge in that. Mm -hmm. It wasn't simple. Mm. I think one of the lessons for us in this lesson is that God welcomes your complicated faith. <laughs> he does. God can handle it. God is not scared of it. <laughs> and I hope that one of the lessons is that we as a community welcome each other's complicated faith. Mm -hmm. Amen. This diversity of experiences, this diversity of understandings, this diversity of places and time of where each one of us is. Because some of us were suffering right now. And some of us, we're pretty okay. Mm -hmm. And we can affirm each other and affirm each other's faith and affirm each other's journey and not be so invested in whether or not John the Baptist received the news from the disciples or not. It is just, hey, look at what Jesus is doing. Amen. And here's lesson number two. When John had a question about Jesus' ministry and if Jesus was the Son of God, in fact, or maybe he was not. Jesus doesn't go into this, like, apologetics answer about, like, well, let me show you Isaiah, and you know how Mary, she's a virgin, and you know, there, there is none of that. Jesus says, look at what I am doing. I think so often, specifically for us in the West, we have made of Jesus and of Christianity just an intellectual pursuit and an intellectual understanding that we just want to understand Jesus. But when Jesus is, is asked, are you the Messiah? He says, am I not healing the blind? Mm. Am I not taking care of the poor? Amen. Am I not hanging out with the wrong people? Jesus' answer to our question, are you the Messiah? I'll read it. Go back, go back to John and tell him what you have heard and seen. The blind see, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news, the gospel, is being preached to the poor. That's Jesus' answer to the question, are you the Christ? 
Are you the Messiah? Are you the anointed one? The dead are raised to life. The good news are being preached to the poor. I started the sermon saying that the very first announcement of the gospel was towards a young woman, probably 14, 15, 16 tops. And then Jesus is saying, hey, you want to know that I am the Messiah? Look at how I'm changing those who are suffering the most. And I am giving them hope and joy. As we are getting ready to celebrate the advent of Christ, and as we're remembering joy this week, I wonder if some of us, like John, might be struggling with this idea, and we welcome the struggle, and we welcome the doubt. And I wonder if some of us, maybe also like John, we might be really good at talking about Jesus, but we're not so good at uh, helping the blind, and the lame, and those who are sick, and the lepers, and the poor. Jesus' ministry is often, very often found with those who society has often put on the outskirts of society. Amen. It is not with the Pharisees. It is not with the religious people. It is not with the rich people. It is not with the gainfully employed. It is with those that have often been pushed to the sides. And what Jesus has asked, are you the Christ? He said, look at where I am and look at what I'm doing. Amen. I think part of the call for us as a church community, locally and globally, is to be a community that is spending itself in helping the poor and the needy and the hungry and those who are suffering today. Amen. And one of the worst things that we can do is to just intellectualize this experience and just think of it as thoughts and as something to read but not something to act and something to do. When Jesus was asked, are you the Messiah? Jesus said, aren't I doing Messiah things? <laughs> right? We are really good at believing Messiah beliefs, but maybe we're not as good as doing Messiah things. As being like Christ with these people that Christ was talking about. And there, there is where we find joy. Amen. Not happiness. Happiness, I find it in apple pie. That's, that's happiness. Happiness, I find it going to the movies with my family. That's happiness. Happiness is when I finish the month and I've paid off all the bills and I still have money left over. That's happiness. Joy? Joy is found doing Christ things. Amen. And joy can be found even in the middle of great, great, great suffering. Amen. The preacher was saying, and I'll say it again, we do not delude ourselves into thinking that it doesn't hurt. It does. Oops and ouch. Sometimes suffering hurts a lot. And we can still find joy in it. Not because of the, suffer of the suffering. We're not asking for suffering. But in spite of the suffering. Because we know that our Redeemer is coming. Amen. We know that our Messiah is coming. Amen. Will you join me in prayer? Father in heaven, would you allow us, God, 
to be a community that is not just believing Christ things, but are acting out Christ actions, Messiah actions. May we be the kind of people that are doing the things that Messiah that you were doing. May we be hanging out with the poor, with the destitute, with widows and orphans. <clears throat> May we be concerned for the least among us. May we protect the most vulnerable in our communities. May we pray for justice and peace in ourselves, in our families, and all around the world. May we be a community that is full of Christ's actions, Christ's thoughts, and Christ's moments every single day. Amen. And Father, just like John had this moment of uncertainty, <coughs> the season of uncertainty, Father, we, we, we bring to you our, our uncertainties as well. We don't have it all figured out. We don't understand it all. We bring our questions. We bring our doubts. We bring all the things that are causing doubt and anxiety within us. And we just want to bring them to you. And may we find peace in you. And in the work of redemption and regeneration you're doing in us. And in every single thing in this universe. May we find hope. That when you're coming, you're coming back again to finish the work that you have started. Amen. In us and on this and on this earth. May we be a community that is constantly working to be ready for the full redemption of this world and the universe, Amen. like you have promised. Amen. May we be preaching peace and gentleness, compassion and love to ourselves to our family members, to our neighbors, to our community. May we be known as a community that is doing Christ things right here in the Mid-Coast area in Maine, in this little corner of the world that we call home. May you be with us this week. Give us hope and peace and strength. Heal those who are sick in our community. Be with those who are suffering this week. Give us strength, God, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.